0: When I was in high school, <laughs> I wanted to letter so bad. I mean, I wanted one of these jackets and it didn't come as fast as I wanted it to. It finally came. I lettered in football. My parents graciously bought me the jacket, which was expensive, and, uh, and I put my letter on it. And, and in my town, and this is a long, long, time ago. But in the town I lived in, there were five high schools. Since then, the high school I went to is split into two, so it's six. But there were five high schools, all roughly competitive, the same size. And so it was a big deal. I mean, when I got this jacket, I wore it all the time. I wore it to school. I wore it after school. I wore it in the morning. I wore it in the evening. I wore it when I took a shower. I wore it all the time. (laughs) I always wanted to wear it. And then I went into town and, and, you know, it was like with all these schools back then, you just represented. I mean, it was my identity. This is who I am. This is my school. This represents my team. And then graduation comes. Now, it's a little different today. Back then, the way we did it in southern Colorado is after you graduated, you know, maybe that summer, sometime in there, you took your letter off but you still wear, wore the jacket for maybe, I don't know, a year or so. But then eventually, you know, it has to happen. The jacket has to come off, and and you start realizing, hey, this isn't me anymore. This doesn't define me anymore. This is not who I am anymore. You know, I, I, I got to move on. And we, we've been going through the book of Colossians, and in this next session that we're this next session next section that we're going to go through talks about just how to do that how to move on with our new life how to how to get rid of the old and move on to the new and so we're going to pick it up luke left off he had a great sermon last sunday left off in verse uh, chapter 2 verse 15 and so we're going to pick it up Chapter 2, verse 16. But I'm going to warn you, we're actually going to try to cover a lot of verses all the way to chapter 3, verse 17. So we got a big kind of hunk to deal with. But I want to tell you, he's going to answer one of the most practical things that we deal with in the Christian life. And that is, hey, what defines us? How are we new? You know, how do we live the Christian life And uh, and so today we're going to be talking about not living in the past anymore. And when we stop living in the past, though, we realize that there's a struggle inside of us. And we want to talk about that. And and we all deal with this. Super practical stuff. It's living the Christian life. We know that God wants us to follow him, to live like we should. But we struggle with that. We struggle to do the right thing. And we fail. We fail. And uh, and that's why Christ came and died for us to take care of that. And as Luke was talking about, nailed our sins, and they're dead and buried, and they're not accounted to us anymore. They've been removed, covered, and and we're done with that. But we still have that. We still live in our, our flesh, and we still have this struggle. And by the way... the you know, so anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, you're looking at me, but you know, where, where you've decided you don't want to do something, but you end up doing it anyway, even though you thought you'd never do it, or you, you know you, that. You know what I'm talking about? You know, Paul struggled with that. He talked about that in Romans seven. I mean, we deal with it. But here's the thing: it's not just for Christians, by the way. All people struggle with doing the right thing, however they determine what right is. We all have a conscience, and I believe that's something given to us as we are made in the image of God. Even though our conscience may be seared, it may be corrupted, it may not be very good, we all have these moral values in our lives. Even if they're wrong, we have them. And we have all violated our own conscience. For believers, we've violated what God has told us to do. And so in this next section of scripture, Paul is going to tell us how to get this right. How to move on and live the new life. And as he does that, the first thing he's going to tell us is what does not work. And he starts that in verse 16 of chapter 2. And he's basically he's going to say this. Here's what doesn't work. What doesn't work is mysticism or man-made spiritualism. What doesn't work is just giving in and redefining. And what doesn't work is is following rules. But let's start. What doesn't work? Mysticism. This is man-made spirituality. It begins in verse 16. Here's what he says. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So when he says shadow, what he's telling us is, hey, all these, and some of this refers to uh, the religious rituals that were part of Judaism, and a lot of these Rituals that they did pointed forward to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But now that the Messiah is here, those rituals don't mean anything anymore. And here in Colossians, as he's writing, some people were trying to say, no, you still got to do the stuff. And, and we're talking about non-moral rituals. And so you still got to do this stuff. And, and Paul's saying, no, that's just a shadow we have, now Christ has come. That all just pointed to Jesus. Just the shadow of Jesus is coming. Now Jesus has come. We have the substance of reality. We have him. None of that matters anymore. they are old rules that pointed to Christ. Don't need them now. And then he continues in verse 18. He says this, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize And defrauding, that, that's kind of a, an old word. We don't use that a lot now. It's don't let people that are following these rules or following this man-made spirituality, don't let them deny your claim as a believer. Because what they're doing is they're saying, no, you're not good enough in the way you do Christianity. You're not doing all this stuff that's not good enough. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement. And when he says self-abasement, again, another term we don't use a lot. This is false humility, usually involving some physical sacrifice. Um, He says, of your prize, by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels. That's kind of the mystic, hey, taking his stand on visions he has seen. And this is where some people were saying, hey, well, I've seen this vision that they were getting revelation from God that could not be proved in any way. And so therefore he's saying, no, revelation from God that you can't prove, we don't have to go by that, he's saying. And then he says, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. That just means conceited, puffed up for no reason. And not holding fast to the head, which is the point, which is Jesus. From whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. And so he's throwing that out there to us, and basically he's saying man-made spirituality or following these religious rituals, either one, doesn't work. But, but, but there's more that doesn't work. He's also saying giving in or just surrendering to our culture, that doesn't work either. Sometimes people get caught up in stuff we see this, you know, I see this mostly when somebody in somebody's family chooses a, a lifestyle that God says is wrong and then the, the people just can't handle it and they'll just, they'll just pretend that that's not wrong anymore. Or people more personally, it's, they'll think, I can't, I can't do it, I can't do the right thing, I can't stop doing this, so it must not be that bad, but God must have made me this way, so it must be okay. We see this kind of stuff every day. When confronted with wrong, our culture tends to redefine what wrong is, or call wrong something else that sounds right. We do this. We do this even with non-moral things. You know, I have a, a minor degree in economics. You know, well, when I learned economics. The definition of a recession, right? We've been hearing this in the news a lot, right? Is two consecutive quarters where the real GDP has been in decline. So, you know, he's doing that, but now what are they saying? They're not saying, what's well, a recession, but this and this, well, what are they doing? They're saying, oh, this isn't a recession. They're redefining what a recession was. Well, when I was thinking about this as an illustration, I thought, well, I'll Google this, and I go to Wikipedia earlier this week, and I look up economic recession, and right there on the definition, there's this big notice, hey, this definition is changing now, like this week. <laughs> that notice is gone when I checked it this morning, but yeah, hey, this definition is changing this week. We just redefine, we just redefine it. We just say, oh, no, we're changing the word now. That's not what it means. We do that. And, and that's just, that's non-moral issue, except for the lying part. That's kind of a non-moral thing. But we do this with moral issues. We do it with moral issues, which is tragic. For, for example, we say, you know, in the West, in the Western half of the world, marriage now is not what marriage has always been for thousands and thousands of years. Between one man and one woman. That, that's not, that's not we've just, we just redefined it. We just said nope. That's not what it is. Gender. You know, we live in our country today, where people can wake up and decide daily what gender they are. Gender fluidity, and sort of demand that everybody recognize that. It's hard to keep up, and 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 just change it. Well, that we've never done that before, and, and it's not just. Gender. Well, with the gender thing, we have a, think about it. We have a, to be on the Supreme Court, you gotta be smart, right? We have a new Supreme Court judge who will not define the word woman. That's a pretty basic word. Can't define that. Won't define it. Because of the world we're living in, because we're redefining everything. We either redefine it Or we rename it. When you take something really ugly and everybody knows it's ugly, like abortion, we just rename it. Women's health care. Reproductive rights. We do all this. Nobody wants to watch a sonogram of a baby as it's reacting to being snipped apart in the womb. Nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to watch a partial birth abortion where a baby's halfway out of the womb and then its skull is collapsed. I mean, we can watch all that if we want to, but nobody wants to want We don't even want to think about that. We'll just give it a different name. Healthcare. Reproduction rights. So then we can support it. Our culture redefines And renames. We take bad, we rename it to something that sounds good so that we can support it. But this giving in, this surrender to our culture, it doesn't work. It's just denial. It's denial of the cold truth of we would just look at it at face value. Which nobody wants to do. We would see that it was denial. Denial. And that, by the way, is powerless to change our lives. That doesn't make us better. It makes us worse. And so it's not only man-made religion or mysticism. It's not only giving in to denial. There's a last thing, and that's rules. Rules don't work either. And that's where we as human beings, we kind of do this. And we as religious human beings, if you want to use a term like that, we naturally gravitate Toward rules, just religions in general kind of do. But rules, that's not the way to live the Christian life. Is what Paul goes on to explain. We'll pick it up in verse 20. If you have died with Christ, and if you're a believer, you have. Luke was telling us our sins nailed to the cross. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles, and by elementary principles he's talking about these basic principles of the world, this basic human heart religion of just following, reducing religion and God down to some rules. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish perish with use in accordance with with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom. He's saying they masquerade as wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement. And and again, this self-abasement is where we're trying to follow God in some religious way. It's, It's fake humility. It's prideful. And then he talks about Self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. This severe treatment of the body is aestheticism. That's where we do something uh, that physically is a sacrifice. And we do that to try to appear more godly, to express devotion. But what does he say? He says, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. He's saying, hey, all those things that he just mentioned that are sort of religious things. They do not help you do good. They're rules. You're doing stuff. You might even be inflicting pain on yourself. They do no good against our fleshly appetites. They do no good when it comes to combating our inner desire to do the wrong thing. Man-made spirituality or giving in, surrendering to culture, or following a list of rules. He's saying none of that works. And and if none of this works to help us with our wrong desires, what God says is wrong, well then, what does work? And then Paul's gonna get to that. He's gonna tell us how to live the Christian life. So Paul not only tells us, hey, this is going to do it for you. He's going to tell us how we get there. And he starts off this way. First of all, he says, you got to know you're raised in Jesus and knowing that, focus on him. Now we just crossed over from into chapter 3. He says, therefore, and and this is kind of interesting if you know Paul's writings, a lot of times he does a lot of theology front half of the book or the letter and then he does a lot of practical stuff at at the second half, we'll hear this is four chapters, and now this is the beginning of the third chapter. We see this shift. He says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, and by the way, if you're a believer, we have been raised in him, raised to new life. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. This is key. Set your mind, how do we do this? Set your mind on the things above, on godly things. What does God want? Not on the things that are on earth. So here's what he's telling us. Hey, keep remembering this. Keep remembering we're raised on Jesus. We need to focus on him. We need to set our mind on things above. That means every day when we get up, we want to battle these desires that we sometimes lose, we want to do better against that. Every day we get up and we start focusing, what would God want me to do? Think about life from God's perspective. How much time do I have left? What does God want me to accomplish? Which of these choices would God want me to make? Which would honor God the most? That's what we do when we set our mind on things above Then, he says, not only know that, but also know that you're dead to our old life before Christ. He continues in verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. We're in Christ. We're secure. Therefore, consider the members, this is talking about us and our bodies, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead. And by the way, this is from this is where we get the word necro, you know. This is a word that it's a strong word. It's not just, hey, work against this, fight against this, try against. He's saying, eliminate this, put it to death. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to, and then he starts listing them. We're dead to what? immorality. This is pornea, sexual immorality. And then impurity, that's a broader word than pornea, which even includes our thought life, not just the actions of immorality. Then he says our passion, that's pathos, that's our our passion, this this desire, the wrong desires that we have. And then he says, which is a little bit different because then there's evil desire, which epithumeo. We've talked about that before. This is an over-desire that sometimes we can have, even of good things, and we make it wrong. The thing in itself isn't wrong, but because we over-desire it, it becomes wrong in our life. And then he tacks on and greed which is wanting more and more material things, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. And idolatry is when we set things above God. And now we have to, there's a whole bunch of these things are idolatry. In a sense, all sin is idolatry because anytime we as a believer, we do something we know God says is wrong, we struggle with it and we do it anyway, what we're doing is in that moment of time we are setting Our wants for that sin above what God wants in our life and we're setting that thing at that moment as an idol in our heart and I will just warn you, our hearts are tremendous idol factories. We will make an idol of anything. We'll put anything over God, anything, any person, any relationship we can put over God in our life and that's an idol in our hearts and it's wrong, is what God is saying. And then it continues in verse six. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. We can't be like them. They're they're subject to God's wrath. And in them, you also once walked, who we were, when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside Anger, we get that. Wrath, malice, this is where we intentionally harm somebody. Slander, abusive speech from your mouth. This is foul mouth abuse that we unleash on other people. Say, hey, we get rid of all this stuff. Get rid of it. And and then we'll think, well, Kevin, I remember that, that i made new. I mean, I understand there's a spiritual reality. I've heard this before, now that you're reminding me. But knowing this hasn't always helped me in my struggle, my daily struggle against sin or maybe a specific sin in my life. And so I'm still struggling. I still struggle. How can I win? How can I live out what God wants? Well, now God... Paul is going to answer, so that's God answering. Paul's gonna answer more specifically as he continues, and he's gonna say this, this third way, just not know these things, but now he's gonna say, be renewed, is kind of the point, be renewed. Put on your new self. It's all about renewal, he's saying. Giving in doesn't work, God made me this way, I can't help it, so I'm just gonna do it, it must not be so bad. It's not about following rules, Sometimes we get so tied up in following rules. It's actually more about following Jesus. We put that on. Some of you have been here for a while. No, last, uh, last year, roughly around this time, I had the opportunity to go elk hunting in Idaho. And it was great. We were uh, just a little southwest from uh, Yellowstone, west of Jackson Hole. We were up in the mountains. You know, we're hunting. It's just great stuff. And while we were doing that, and I'm not a great hunter, but... You know, I love hiking in the mountains. We had these packs on and we went bow hunting and we were just hiking all over the place. I mean, just covering a lot of miles. And and we got dirty and we got sweaty. And then, you know, we got bloody by skinning elk and packing the meat. By the way, that was never my elk that we were skinning and packing the meat. But other people's elk, you know, we skinned them, packed them out. Doing all this stuff. We were just a mess. It's my habit when I'm camping that I'm usually next to a stream and I'll go, you know, plunge myself every once in a while, especially in the evening, and, and get clean. I eat, sleep better that way. But the stream that we were next to was like this deep. So, you know, that wasn't really happening. And, we, you know, we just got dirtier and dirtier. Well, at one point in that time that we were gone, I had to make a phone call. And there was no cell reception there. So I drove out of the mountains to a paved road. And then near that paved road, there it was. A place where you could buy a hot shower. A hot shower. And on the other side of the wall, the place where you can buy a hot shower was a laundry, coin laundry. And then right across the alley from that was a bar and grill. I hit the trifecta. I mean, I had all three. I mean, boom, I was there, I had it all. And so you're covered with sweat, dirt, blood. You're just filthy. And then think about it, go in, this probably happened to you at different times in your life, you go in, you peel off all that grime, you step into a hot shower, you get clean, and you step out and put on clean, new clothes. You feel like a new man, or for you ladies, you feel like a new woman. I mean, you feel like you're brand new. You know what I'm talking about, right? This is what Paul is telling us with the new life in Christ, We've been cleaned. This has already happened in our heart. Put it on. But putting it on is making a decision to live in that. It involves choice. It involves our will. But it's not just our will all wrapped up in following rules. There's more to it than that. He goes on. He continues in verse 9. He says, what else you're putting off? Do not lie to one another. Since you laid aside what identified you before, you laid aside that, the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self. We put on the new. It's a decision. Put on the new. That's what God wants us to do. And we can do it, it's a decision. We focus too much sometimes on following the rules. And some are good rules. It's morality, what God wants us to do. But sometimes we focus so much on following the rules that we forget in order to do that, we need to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Just follow him every day. Just let that be your goal. And the rules are easier to follow if you want to call them rules. He continues. He says this, who is this new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And then he's going to talk more about it, a renewal. We're renewed. It's a renewal. That's the key. And this is in the present tense. It's a continuous process. It keeps on happening. What Paul's telling us and what God's telling us is Winning the struggle over sin is not outside in. It's not, okay, what are all these things out there I should be doing and I shouldn't be doing? What does God say morally right and morally wrong? It's not focused on the external. It's not the outside and work it in. It's the inside. Be renewed and let that change your outside behavior. Follow Christ so closely that it changes your behavior on the outside. And that change, when that change happens, when you're following God with all your heart, that is renewal. That's what he's talking about. And it's the same thing that Paul talked about in other places, like Romans 12.2, where he says, be transformed by the renewing, same renewal, of your mind. That's what he's telling us over and over. We take off the lies, we take off the old self, we take off what used to identify us, and we put on the new, the new life, what Christ has given us. He's already given it to us. We live out the truth of the gospel. And I know when I say that, people say, well, well I, I'm trying to do that, but but I still sometimes fail. I prayed, I prayed, I tried, and I tried, and I can't get over this particular sin. And and what God's telling us, through Paul, is that whether that sin is worry or lust or fear, probably, if you've been trying all this time, your problem is renewal. Your problem is Renewal Renew your mind. Focus on Jesus as you do life. Focus on doing life with God every day. Wake up in the morning. OK, get Jesus. God, what are we going to do today? Every decision. What honors God the most? God, what would, what would be most honoring to you? Everything we do to impact people for Christ. Wake up every day knowing we just have limited time on this Earth, and we don't know how limited. And what can I do to impact for the kingdom? What can I do to point the people I care about to you? What can I do? Live that way. And when you live that way, following the rules isn't such a big deal. It comes more automatic. Does that make sense? Because it's the, I'm sorry, does that make sense? It's the, in. thank you. It's the inside working out to the outside. So he continues here and describing that renewal in verse 11, a renewal in which there is no distinction. Very interesting to me, because if you follow politics in our world today, our country, it's really the whole Western world, not just our country. It's all about splitting up people into definable people groups and then getting them separated from each other and mad at the other groups, and that gives the politicians who are promoting that Power, a renewal in which there is no distinction. See, there's, God is, Jesus rejects that kind of thinking. Jesus says we're all the same. As believers, it's a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, that's sort of racially, circumcised and uncircumcised, that's sort of religion, barbarian, Scythian, that's that's their background their ethnic slave and free man but Christ is all and in all so as those who have been chosen this means chosen by God for God as so then so as those who have been chosen of God and there's who we are holy and beloved put on a heart of compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. And I highlight forgiving because this is the one of these that he expands on. And by the way, the New Testament expands on forgiving a lot. Jesus pointed out and expanded on forgiving a lot. Just read the Lord's prayer and what he says after it. He's big on forgiveness. Forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. We've got to forgive. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule, rule in our hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. He's telling us this is the way. It's renewal. What can help us? But, but maybe you're sitting there and you're still not convinced. Yeah, I, I, think I've, I think I know all this, but I still struggle. What can help me with renewal? Next verse. Let the word of Christ This is the gospel. This is the New Testament. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And and that's what you have always hear me saying. The gospel is just the good news. God loves us. Christ died for us to pay for our sins, and we all have them. And through faith, we can put our trust in Christ and Christ alone, and we'll be given this new life, and we'll be saved, and God will never leave us, and our destiny is secure, which is kind of what he's talking about. Let the word of Christ dwell within you. But that word of Christ, we got to put it in there. And we put it in there in different ways. We should be reading the Bible. And if you hate reading, then you need to be listening to the Bible. And if you hate reading and listening to the Bible, you need to get it some other way. You need to, but it's not just reading and, and knowing every word of the Bible. It's then meditating on the Word. It's understanding it. It's studying it. It's hearing it explained and applied to our life. All this is a process so that the Word dwells richly within us. And then he continues, with all wisdom, teaching, teaching. And admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. By the way, everybody's trying to figure out, okay, what are these three categories? We can't really figure that out very well. But what we do know is collectively, this is just talking about music and praise that accurately reflects God's truth in his word. And then it continues. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's what he wants. That's how to do it. That's how we win the struggle inside of us. There's the old Cherokee proverb. Probably some of you have heard it. You know, it's the Cherokee grandson goes to his Cherokee grandfather and he says, "Boy," because he gets in trouble for doing something wrong, and he says, "I just feel like inside of me there are two wolves fighting," and. and you know, I, I'm, I'm always trying, you know, this struggle to do right or, or not do right. And the grandfather says, Yeah, there, there's two wolves fighting in your heart. One is good and one is evil. And so the grandson says, Well, who wins? And the grandfather says, The wolf that you feed. This is kind of what Paul's saying feed the right wolf, feed the new life, not the old life. We've set that aside. Feed the new life. How do we do that? With the word of God. That's what he's saying. That's what he's telling us. If we live a renewed life, the word, the word of Christ, the gospel, affects every single area of our life. Because we're thinking about things above. We're thinking about what Christ has done for us. We're wanting to follow him. And when we do this process of just daily wanting to follow Christ closely, that is what renews us and changes our life. So it's good for us to memorize Scripture and understand God's truth and remember it when we're going through our daily daily routine and then focusing on every decision. God, what would you want me to do here? I remember as a teenager, back Back, way back when, long time ago, as some of you noticed, uh, long time ago, I, mem- I wanted to memorize some scripture, so I picked out several verses to memorize, which I still have memorized. It's way easier to memorize when you're young, by the way, than when you're older. So, mem- And one of the verses I memorized was First 1 Corinthians 10.31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you may do, do all for the glory of God. That's King James. You know, I memorized this verse. I'll, I'll read it in, in a a better English translation, which is whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's what Paul tells the Colossians, but it's the exact same thing he's telling the Colossians here in the next verse, verse 17. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. If you ever see me praying, I'm always praying, sort of to the Father. Sometimes about Jesus. It's this concept of praying through Jesus to the Father. I'm not saying doing it another way is wrong. I'm just saying we're praying, you know, to the Father, and it's this. Whatever we do. So all of a sudden, it's whether we're eating. You know, it's, it doesn't matter what we're doing. Whatever decision we're making in our life. We're saying, hey, I want to do whatever glorifies God. And we have God through his spirit inside of us helping us to do this. But it's still a decision. It still involves our will. We still have to cooperate. We have to not quench the spirit in our lives. And then we work it out. And that's how we lived. That's how we live a life where we win in the struggle against right and wrong as believers. We think about Jesus, and we want to follow him in everything we do. And you can do this. Every day you wake up, Jesus, what are we going to do today? What can we accomplish today? How can I impact people for you today? And no matter what your routine is, you carry that with you. And so then Christianity becomes less a, well, there's all these moral things I should be doing and or not doing. I mean, those are important if there are more things, not just religious things, but moral things. Yeah, we we need to do that. But more importantly is that we're doing that as we follow Christ, that we sink up, that we're renewed in a relationship with Him, and we're We're conscious of Him with us every day, and we bring Him into every decision. Now, if you're not a believer and you're thinking, well, you know, I don't know how to live the life, don't know how you guys do it. Well, you can't live the Christian life. You have no chance because you've not been given the new life that Christ is offering you. But He offers it, and you can receive it from God as a free gift. Just by acknowledging your wrong, humbling yourself, acknowledging your wrong, and putting your faith in Jesus by trusting him and what he's done on the cross as he paid for our sins so they can be covered and we can have a relationship with him. But it takes an act of our will to do that, to respond to him. And that's what he wants you to do. Let's stand together for prayer. Father God in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for creation. We thank you for the evidence that you've left all around us of yourself. We thank you for revealing yourself specifically in your word and through your son. And God, we thank you that, that how we can really win the struggle to do good is to just daily be renewed, in you. And God, we can do that in joy, even when we fail, even when we've done horrific things in our past, we know that we're that we're forgiven. Because your blood has covered that if we're believers. Your blood has covered all of our sins, past, present, future, everything. You've covered us, and because you've covered us, because we've keep keep failing, but you've covered us completely. God, in gratitude, we turn to you and we want, we desire to live life with you hand in hand. God, help us to do that every day. In Christ's name, amen.